Hey, Jared Dubin here. This is the audio from Tuesday's chat on the Halftime app with Sean Hyken from Bleacher Report. We talked about the Memphis Grizzlies to start off and the run that they're on right now, sort of the overall construction of their team and how much we enjoy watching them. Then we got into some more of our favorite young teams in the league for the rest of the chat. Be back on Thursday, another chat with Adam Maras from DNVR to talk about the Denver Nuggets. Enjoy. Thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate you. Um, of course, always happy. Let, to. Let's talk about the Grizzlies, man, because I I have you know expressed my affinity for the Grizzlies in years past. For you know the grit and grind Grizzlies were basically the 2010s version of the 90s Knicks. So I you know sort of fell in love with them during that period. But before the season ever started, you were pushing the I'm on the Grizzlies to the Western Conference Finals agenda. Um, which I kind of laughed at at the time, not going to, not going to lie, but they're in fourth in the West and they looked really good when John Morant was out and they looked good with him back. You know, there was some weird, you know, opponent shooting stuff going on earlier in the season when he was on the court and they were getting killed when he was in the game and things like that. But it's just a good team, man. And it's young. Like, I love it. I'm, I'm having so much fun watching them. What, what have you seen from them so far this year? Well, so the, where the, the, the agenda from the, pre, the preseason agenda came from, uh, I just felt like, I mean, obviously last year beat the Warriors in the play-in game, which kind of surprised some people. And then there was a lot of hand-wringing about, oh, is it bad for the Warriors aren't in the playoffs? <laughs> and then they took game one off of the Jazz in the, in the first round as, as an AC. And suddenly everybody's like, oh, this is great. John Morant is awesome. And then I just kind of felt like if there was going to be a team when I when I was when I was pushing the Grizzlies Western Conference Finals agenda at the beginning of the season, it wasn't I that they're going to make it. It was I think this year's Hawks, where it's like a young team that people would be happy if they made the playoffs, and that you, you want to see some incremental progress, and then some breaks go their way, and you just get out of nowhere they make the conference finals. That was kind of what I was looking at it as. And then Jaw had the season that he had, where he was dropping forty on the Lakers and all of this other stuff, and I. I just, I mean, yeah, like, like you said, they, what were they, 10 and 1 while he was out with the knee injury? Something along those lines. They're 21 and 14 now. They're fourth in the West, fourth uh, in the West in point differentials, seven and three yeah. in their last 10 games. And I think Jaw's been back for, it's got to be four or maybe five games now. And then that, that finished last night against Phoenix. I was at the Blazers Mavericks game, but, but I was just watching. Like that, that finish happened during halftime, so I was watching it on lead pass while I was there. And just that finish that he had with half a second left to take a one point lead with and just driving into three guys and somehow finishing the layup was. He's, I mean, he's like probably the coolest player in the league, maybe, except for possibly Anthony Edwards. That's like the one guy who's possibly uh, his competition there. But in terms of just like being cool and being fun to watch and all around being awesome jaw is like probably my favorite player in the right now and then you look at the rest of their roster dylan brooks who i'm kind of biased towards because he's an oregon guy and that's where i went to school uh he's sort of my he's sort of my bruce brown 
in that yeah. in that way for for yeah. him. But he's but he's just you know since they got him back as he was out for he's awesome at, at at both his especially defensively what he brings. And then Jaron Jackson over the last there's been this thought of oh he's going to be part of their core if he can ever stay healthy. And this year he's finally seems like he's putting a lot of that stuff together. And then you look at like uh, Desmond Bain who's been in the starting lineup and he's been good. Like they just have so many guys. And they have a good coach, and they don't really have a lot of bad contracts. And, like, I just – I love the way that they're set up. I like – I mean, I like them both, like, as a long-term, oh, they're set up well. They have got young guys under contract. But also just on the court right now, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, we've got a, a listener named Grizzlies Hype in the chat that's, like, huge win for us. Jaws, box obviously, obviously loving this conversation right now. Um, Dylan Brooks, for me, is so interesting because as recently as, like, two years ago, he was one of my least favorite players in the league to watch because there was – you could like count the number of passes that he threw <laughs> in the season on one hand. And the defense was like a lot of try hard stuff, but not really very effective. And then last year, I mean, if there was a most improved defender award each year, I would have given that to him last season. He got so much better. I think you saw it when he was uh, defending Steph in the playing game and then defending Mitchell in that first round series. Like he's just a good straight up good defender now. And when you have him and Bain on the wing together, Bain's a good defender too. And when Morant was out, Bain was doing way more ball handling than he ever had. You know, obviously his career is only a year old, but I kind of fell in love with him in the pre-draft process, even though he was a guy that was coming out as a senior. Just the way he can shoot, not only standstill, but on the move and from so many different platforms, facing the basket, not facing the basket, turning himself in the air. Like, he's just a really, really good complimentary piece and such a perfect fit next to a player like Morant, who's going to drive so much of the offense. And, I mean, he's taken six and a half threes a game this year, knocking down 43%. Like, that's one of the most valuable shooters in the league. And you add in what he's doing defensively, like, it's just a real – it's like a good starter from, you know, the last pick of the first round. And maybe he doesn't have an ultra-high ceiling or whatever, but when you already have Ja and you have – you know, Brooks is a good player. Jackson's a good player. They brought in Steven Adams this year, who I think, you know, is not quite as good as, as Valanciunas, but, you know, maybe a little bit more solid defensively. Yeah, he's been fine. And, like, Kyle Anderson back to playing the four off the bench now. DeAnthony Melton, I just, like, I want him to get so many more minutes, but also whose minutes are you giving him? Like, it's just, it's a fun team. It's a deep team. And it's it's a very young team. I think they're still, like, the fourth or fifth youngest team in the league by minutes weighted age or something along those lines. I'd have to bring it up in front of me. Yeah. Fourth youngest team in the league, 24.1 years old weighted by minutes. And that's obviously with Ja being out and he's younger than that. He's one of, you know, the younger guys on the team still. So it's just, there's so much to like, I mean, you even go further down the list in the rotation, like Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman, these guys aren't even necessarily, you know, every night rotation players because how many guys can you realistically play every night, you know? And they were, you know, playing Zaire Williams early in the year. Now they're playing Concar a little bit. And especially because they've had them, um, can't remember who's out for COVID right now, but Concar has been starting these last couple games. Um, yeah. So I, the, I don't know how much more to say, but I, I love so much about them. And I think that the future is really bright. Like how many, under 25 groups are you taking over Morant, Bain, and Jackson? 
Not that many. I think the Cavs one is kind of interesting. But the biggest thing to me about the Grizzlies is it's a lot of just like what you mentioned with with the depth. And I think this is kind this was kind of true of the Raptors, like the year they won the title, and then the following year, even after even after they lost Kawhi, it was sort of like a, a group that. You look at their entire. I mean, you just ran down a bunch. You just named like three or four guys who aren't even in the rotation, but would be good additions for a lot of teams or guys that would help a lot of teams. They don't have any bad players in their top like eleven or twelve guys. Like, they, there's nobody on that team where you look at either that's in the rotation or that would be in the rotation if they had an injury or they had somebody go out with COVID. Where do you say, oh, they're just going to get killed whenever that guy's on the floor. You just have to survive that guy's minutes. They don't have any bad players in their rotation. That's so important, especially once you get to the playoffs where lineups and matchups matter. Even some of these guys like Brandon Clark, who are not – I mean, a couple of years ago he was – was he third in rookie of the year voting the year that it was Zion and Josh? Um, I feel like – Was he third in the voting that year? I feel like he might have been. I remember thinking so- that year, like, before Zion was playing, I was like, did the Grizzlies somehow get the second and third best rookies in this well, draft? The, well, the Grizzlies are the official team of, I mean, our, our buddy Brian uh, Cosmos is, you know, big on, on draft Twitter. The Grizzlies are, like, the official team of draft Twitter. I feel like every year the Grizzlies draft, like, two or three guys even in, like, the late first round or early second round who Brian will be talking about as, oh, these are the guys that draft Twitter had as, like, a top ten prospect. And mm-hmm. Whether it's, like, those guys, you know, whether it's uh, Brandon Clark that year or Desmond Bain. Bain, Xavier Tillman, you know, DeAnthony Melton, who they traded for from Phoenix, but he was a guy that all of those models were high on. Uh, like, they just have a lot. They're, like, the official, and I think it's because they've hired a lot of those folks in their in their front office, but like they're the official team of draft Twitter. Yeah, and uh, Zach Kleiman, the the GM, is uh, my buddy's law school classmate. He's my uh, age, which is wild. Yeah, I mean, my friend went to to law school a few years after I did, but uh-huh. it was a uh, Duke Law School, so um, not a bad school. No, I mean, I questioned some of the education with some of the things are. I, I guess he's not actually an alum, but. Some of the sure. people who attended that institution are sharing sure, the public. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, look, like, the the thing that I think people have to bring up at a certain point with the Grizzlies is, like, a consolidation trade. Everybody talks about that with, with them and with the Hawks because they're kind of in the same – you know, you mentioned it earlier, which was why you liked the Grizzlies this year in the first place. Um, like, it's there's, – there's so much depth of young guys and you can't pay everyone. And obviously Trey has already been paid. Ja will be soon. Um, so eventually even Jaron just got paid. Yeah. Jaron just got paid and he got paid at like, you know, you know, basically the same level that John Collins did, um, I, I'll, just on a four year deal instead of a, a five year deal. So, right. you know, and you know, the Steven Adams money comes off, I think after this year, if I'm remembering correctly, I think he has one more year. Steven Adams has one more year after this. And I think that maybe it's Kyle Anderson who's up after this year. Yeah, and Kyle Anderson's a guy that he's been good for them, and he's a guy that you would like to keep around, but that's also a guy that I think other teams, are, especially because there aren't really a ton of big free agents coming up that are really going to change teams. He's a guy that I could see teams throwing money at this summer that the Grizzlies would just be like, yeah, you know, we probably can't do this because we have too many young guys we have to pay. Because you've got you to gotta pay Desmond on point. you got to pay Dylan Brooks. Like, they, like Dylan Brooks signed well, a couple uh, years ago, but you're going to have to pay. Well, that's also, I think, why you draft Zaire Williams is so you have another, like, hybrid 3-4 guy. So when Kyle Anderson leaves, you slide that guy into the lineup, you know? Like, that's why you go get Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman. And, you know, that's why you have, like, 
Conkar and DeAnthony Melton is so if you eventually lose Bain or Brooks, you have one of those guys that can slide in. Um, we got uh, a question from from Grizzlies hype a little bit earlier. When Brooks comes back, should Memphis explore bringing him off the bench? Um, I, I don't know where you stand on that. I would lean toward just keeping him in the starting lineup because of what he brings on defense. I think it's really important for them on the wing. I'd probably lean towards doing that too. I mean, I, I would. I, I think the fact that they won so many games without Jaw has made it. They have a little bit of cushion where if they try something like maybe you know they they try bringing him off the bench and it doesn't work. You know, you have a couple of games in the in the standings that you could give up, like just trying stuff like that. But I don't know. I would just kind of stick in the starting lineup. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I really like that perimeter group with with him and Bain and Morant together, and then you have you know Jackson as your space big and Adams as you know your more interior big and then you could go small with with jackson at center or kyle anderson going small or clark at center like they they have the ability to throw a bunch of different looks at teams because of all the multi-positional guys they've had the one thing i wish they would stop doing at a certain point is playing uh john and tyus jones together it's been going on for you know more than a year now and it just doesn't really work when they're on the court at the same time and uh you know, I think Taylor Jenkins is a good coach, and I just sort of wish he would ditch that one lineup configuration at a certain point. Every coach kind of has their one lineup you look at and be like, and are like, why? You could probably look at any single coach in the league, and you're just like, why are they playing this one guy? Like, there's always one guy with any coach. Of it. No, yeah, Tyus is a good backup point guard. I That's just don't thing. think he's not even a bad player. It's not really right. what it's they should the be doing. It's just the two of them together. Like, they're both pretty small. Neither one of them can necessarily, you know, be a positive defensively. Like Ja, I think, has, you know, the frame for it in terms of his length, but he's thin. Tyus is six feet tall, and Ja does so much offensively that, you know, the ability to put in the two-way effort on defense every night is just not there. So you put them on the court together, and it just kind of doesn't work. Uh, they've been getting outscored for a while with that group together, but... Other than that, like, I just find so much to like with this. It's such a likable team, too. Like, there are some, you know, young teams where, you know, it's just young guys and they're not necessarily all that likable. But I don't know if it's because they're so good already or just because I liked some of these guys beforehand. I don't know what it is. Like, I just get so much enjoyment out of them. It's like, I mean, the Cavs are kind of that way, too, right now. But that's mostly just like Mobley and Garland. They're just outrageous. It's everybody on this Grizzlies team. I don't have um, I don't have this number in front of me right now, but one of my favorite things to track this season has been how many blocks Mobley has versus how many fouls he has, and it's it was like crazy close. I'll bring it up. He's got a uh, forty six blocks and fifty three fouls, which is That's pretty insane. outrageous for a, yeah. for a rookie big man. Like even like uh, even like big men who end up being really good rim protectors, it usually takes them a few years to get the foul stuff figured out. He's already yeah. like right there. So for example, Jared Allen on his own team is thirty eight blocks and fifty two fouls. Yeah. So he's like wait, he's you know a decent shout closer than his teammate who is also an elite rim protector. You know. But even like Anthony, like what was Anthony Davis's split his rookie year? Um, I'd have to go look. I mean, I'll pull it up right now. But you can keep talking about more like DeAndre Jordan or somebody like that. Andre Drummond. I mean, DJ didn't play that much as a rookie, if I'm remembering correctly. It was like sort of consternation about like what are you doing? Uh, AD is a rookie, 112 blocks, 158 fouls. Um, Yeah. 
second season was 189 and 200. And then his third season, he got it flipped 200 blocks and 141 fouls. Well, right. That's the thing. And even somebody who's like a generational defender like Anthony Davis, it takes a while usually for them to get that kind of under control. And Evan Mobley is already there. as a. Yeah, I did a, a whole Cavs podcast with the, um, the Chase Down podcast guys yeah. uh, maybe last week, if I'm remembering correctly. And we just sort of geeked out about Mobley and about like Darius Garland in particular. I just like if there was a most improved in terms of my like liking watching like them, them. Yeah. Yeah. Garland would be pretty high on that list this year. And, and like, I don't think it's directly attributable to not playing with Sexton this year, but my enjoyment of what he's been doing, just his, his willingness or not willingness, but determination to get in the paint more often and to, to create for others that way, as opposed to just, you know, slinging the ball from the outside. Like, I just I've I've enjoyed watching him so much this season. I still need to read with Cavs thing that came out today. I'm a little bit annoyed because I was trying to get out to Cleveland at some point this season and do something similar, but I still need to read that. I'm really happy for because if you look at how his career has gone, he's been stuck in terrible interim situations three times in a row. Like he gets the interim job in Houston after they fire Kevin McHale and Dwight and Harden are like not getting along and that's all a disaster. And then he gets the Grizzlies interim job, right? When, when like, like the end of the Gasol Conley era, when that, that whole, they're kind of in transition and that team isn't very good. And then he gets the Cavs interim job when John Beeline steps down after he accidentally calls the players thugs instead of slugs or whatever the story was there. And, and so he just kind of keeps getting stuck into terrible situations. And now he gets this team and actually shows that he's a good coach and he gets this big extension. So I'm happy for him too. Yeah, I mean, the two full seasons that he had, like when he was not an interim, the one season that he had in Memphis, um, which was, you know, the year that they sort of took their big step back. And that was the year that uh, they traded Gasol because that was the uh, 19th. Yeah. So that's the year the Raptors won the title. Yeah. Um, and then last year, the, the you know, pretty close full to full season yeah. with Cleveland. I, I wasn't particularly impressed in those two seasons with what I saw. I thought he was, you know, taking away from what his team was doing with his rotations, with some of his schemes. But I've been impressed this year for sure. Like the move to put Markin in, in the starting lineup worked out really well. They're just super big everywhere except with Garland. You know, he's super small, so they just make up for it by having size everywhere. Markin can't really guard in the wing. Guess what? Mobley can. You know, and if if marketing gets beat, you have two more seven footers waiting behind him to protect at the rim. You know, like it's worked out well in that sense. I think pairing Love and Rubio off the bench has worked out really well for them. They've been able to overcome losing Sexton. They've moved Decoro to the two. He's still not really shooting all that well, but what he brings for them defensively works out really well. Like. You know, even their deeper bench guys, like, you know, Osman is playing decently well, although whenever I watch them, he seems to never make a shot somehow. But, you know, it's it's another good young team, and the guys that they have that are older, you know, in, in Rubio and in Love are contributing at a high level for them, just in smaller roles than we're used to seeing from them. Yeah, I mean, the the three big lineup in particular is one where when you looked at that on paper beginning, and I think I've said this, but that seemed like it was going to be like, remember that year, Detroit, where they thought that uh, Josh Smith, Josh Smith, Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond could play together. And it was a just complete disaster. And you look at the way the rest of the league plays and how 
how far away from you know traditional big men a lot of teams have gone and then you look at cleveland trying to do that it was like what what the hell are you doing but it's actually worked and it's been yeah. good and Mar- and marketing is a guy that you know because i used to cover the bulls and my last year there was his rookie year and so i've always kind of kept an eye on him and he just never turned into the player he was supposed to turn into when he was in Chicago for whatever reason. I think some of that was Jim Boylan kind of destroying his confidence and, and then also different names that he had at different points. But I'm, I'm happy to see that he's kind of figured out a role in a lane for himself in Cleveland. He's not even really shooting that well yet this year either. He's shooting like 32, 33% from three or something along those lines, you know, on pretty high volume, but it's, it's not like he's, killing it it's just the way that those three guys up front fit together and just the ability of both Mobley and Allen to either defend in space or pick up the slack behind Markin and when he if and when he gets beat on the wing has just been super important and it sort of locks everything into place for them you know like it's just it works like Maybe they don't hang on as like whatever it is, like the second or third best team, or I guess now they're down to they're down to fifth in the East. But you know, three, four, five are all separated by a game. But maybe they don't stay up there. Maybe they wind up dropping into the plan. But from what the expectations were before the season, like they're leading the East in point differential by like a significant margin. Obviously, some of that is influenced by you know the COVID and injury issues that right. the Nets and the Bulls and the Bucks and the Heat have all had, but. You know, this is still way better than we than anybody reasonably thought this team was going to be this year. Um, so last time the Cavs were in a playoff without LeBron on the roster was 1998, and the last God. time the, and the last time the Cavs without LeBron on the roster was 1993. 93? Yeah, like Mark Price. Aaron. Oh my God. Yeah. That is wild. That like that legit blows my mind right now. Yeah, they lost in the first round four straight times. Uh, that was, you know, the Mike Fratello era. Um, I know at least one of those was against the Knicks. I remember playing that team. Um, what about, you know, we, we said before we were going to talk about some other young teams. Like, where do you want to go next? You want to go Thunder, Wolves, Rockets, Spurs, Hornets, Kings? Where are you at? What, what's the most interesting team to you? Minnesota, I guess, because I just can never figure them out on a night-to-night basis. Like, there will be some nights, like, last night they beat Boston. I know Boston hate him out. They had some, like, there are nights like that, where even without Cat, they look great. But then there are other nights where it just, they, they look terrible. Like, they're just, they're, I can't figure them out. I like a lot of their guys. Like, obviously, Anthony Edwards is awesome. And Cat, just, like, some nights when he's healthy, like, some nights he'll bring it and other nights he won't. I just, they're just, they're really confused. It's really weird to me that they can't score. They're, like, in the bottom third of the league in offensive efficiency and like they have three guys that can at least create good shots some of that is d'angelo russell shooting like 11 percent on twos or whatever it is this year but you know edwards and towns is the sort of you know pillars of your offense you should be able to get out of the bottom 10 but they haven't really been able to do it this year it's really fun watching them on defense though because they just fly around all over the place like i don't know that that's necessarily it's not something that's necessarily sustainable over the long term as like a playoff team, just because if you're scrambling as often as they do, it's really tough to to do that and do it well with all five guys for 48 minutes every night. But for a young team like them that just is trying to capitalize on their athleticism, which is like the one thing they have going for them defensively, I think it makes sense. Like I 
can't remember if they're still first in the league in opponent turnover percentage. Yep, the the Raptors tied them, but they're tied for first. So, you know, you take that and, like, it doesn't necessarily make up for the fact that they're, you know, in the bottom half in field goal percentage and in, um, in rebounding and I think in fouls as well. But it's a pretty good way to make up for it, you know? Yeah, I mean – that and then the the lack of I mean I I think some of that obvious injuries and some of the COVID stuff although everybody's kind of been hit with COVID stuff but but yeah I mean if they aren't if they aren't having the defense there is you know, at least they give themselves a chance at least some yeah I mean I would be kind of disappointed if they didn't make the plan but also I guess like it would involve at this point one or both of Portland or Sacramento or I guess OKC is now in that mix too technically jumping ahead of them like man the beyond like top six maybe seven in the west is brutal like it's all the you know the young teams and then the lakers who have like you know 13 guys that have been in the league for longer than anybody on the thunder's been alive (laughs) (laughs) the fact that the thunder are like still in the mix for a play-in spot is just i mean that's gonna change they're gonna start pulling yeah, I mean, look, they're a game and a half back of the Spurs right now. Same as the Kings. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think, like they're gonna they're gonna move some stuff. It's gonna they're they're gonna get back in X. But uh, Sacramento, like you you have Alvin about how he's never been more embarrassed in his thirty years in the NBA or whatever after after a loss at home. Yeah, I mean, Alvin like, Gentry was part of like some pretty bad teams in his day Mm -hmm. you know like he coached the clippers back in the day when they were you know not good like right (laughs) he got fired in the middle of a 19 and 39 season that's you know that's basically like a 24 win season or something like that right like you're on pace for something along those lines like 24 and 58 something like that like it's not good you know he had um his phoenix team the year he got fired that team was really bad like those Pelicans teams his last couple of years were not good. Like for him to be saying, you know, this is the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened in all his years in the NBA. And he's, he was an assistant coach for a long time too, you know? So man, um, uh, I just don't know what the, I don't know what the Kings are trying to do. You you can tell that they're trying to, they're trying to pee for the playoffs because they still have like the Harrison Barnes and Rashad holds like, like veteran types of guys on their roster. But then they're also develop all these young guys. Like whenever you whenever you hear a team, I mean, it's it's such a red flag. Whenever you hear a team talking about we're trying to compete for the playoffs and also develop all of our young guys, like you usually can't do both. There have been examples of teams that can, but usually you can't do both. And I, I kind of just wish they would, you know, either maybe do the like a Ben Simmons trade and like go all in and trade some of these young guys and actually try to make the playoffs, or trade De'Aaron Fox and completely blow it up and start it like like do one or the other at this point because they keep trying to you know win 45 games and make the playoffs and they can't even get to that so I I just kind of wish they would do one or the other well look as uh you know as our friend Danny LaRue says ownership is the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA (laughs) and And then you um, thought that once they got rid of the Maloofs Vivek came in with all this tech money that he's got and they got the new arena built you thought they would have that problem solved but like he's been just as bad in different ways yeah, I remember uh, talking to Vivek like shortly after he bought the team. This was at, at Sloan back in the oh. day. And I did an interview with him um, for ESPN. And he was talking about how he wanted to, you know, to build the team around uh, Boogie and Michael Malone. And 
like how, you know, he identified Malone because he had used to be, you know, a part owner of the Warriors. Yeah. And Malone was an assistant coach there for a couple of years. And he was like, this is the guy. I know he's going to be the guy. And then, you know, like 25 games into the next season when they're pretty good, he gets fired. Like, I was like, oh, so maybe this guy doesn't necessarily. And then supposedly he got fired because he didn't want to run the cherry picking offense where you have one guy stay back on offense and you play four on five on defense because he had coached like his fifth grade daughter's team with that offense that Vivek had. Like, I put that report at one point. Do you remember that? Yeah. um... Well, the all time worst was that. So that same season, I was Chicago at the time, I was covering the Bulls. They, uh, they fired Michael Malone, and then they elevated uh, Ty Corbin to be interim. And then a week later, they officially removed the interim tag from Ty Corbin and said, this is our permanent head coach. Like, they officially went publicly on the record and did that. And then a couple months later, it started to leak out that uh, they actually were going to hire George Carl, and they had a deal in place with George Carl for after the All-Star break. And DeMarcus Cousins at that point came out and told Woj, like, this is not fair to, to Ty Corbin. I also didn't want Michael Malone to get fired. Like, this is this is just, I don't like this, blah, 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 blah. blah. And so I remember, like, like a, like a couple days before the All-Star break that year, which is when they officially made the change and brought in George Carl, like, it had all been reported, and everybody knew that that was going to happen. But Ty Corbin had to sit out there pregame and answer questions for uh, to, uh, from all of us about, you know, basically knowing that he was going to lose his job in a week, and he had to, like, sit there. It was, they put him in such an unfair spot. And then, like, a week later – or not a week later, like, a year later uh, – the, they fired uh, George Carl after like a year and a well, half. Well, they fired George Vlade, uh, went on the record with, I believe it was Stein, went on the record and said, we don't want to trade DeMarcus Cousins. We want to build around him long term. And DeMarcus Cousins didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay there long term. And then they traded him during the All-Star game, literally. In he found out when that he was got, had gotten traded to New Orleans. I remember watching that game on TV and like the Woj tweet comes in that he's getting traded to New Orleans like during the game. And then he sits down at like the table to do media afterwards and the PR person whispers in his ear, Hey, you just got traded to new Orleans. And that's how he found out. Yeah. When was the last time they had a coach for longer than two seasons? All right. You know, I, I guess don't know, Walt- but I know that the, I do. I know that Luke Walton is something like the second or third winningest coach in franchise history or something ridiculous like well, that. He, he lasted into a third season, but yeah, which is like, like at that point you might as well be like, that's like their Phil Jackson. Point, oh, you know what? Jaeger got three seasons. Jaeger was actually good, but Jaeger also like I understand like Jaeger kind of understand why that didn't last. But he actually like he had the best record. It was like thirty nine and forty three his last year with the and he immediately got fired. Yeah, that's their After best record the, since that was two thousand five. That was the best record of this whole time that they didn't make the playoffs. Then he immediately got fired. Nine, ten, eleven. They've now had twelve coaches since the last time they made the playoffs. And twelve granted, coaches it's, and like four general managers. It's it's been a long time since they made the playoffs, 05, 06. Oh. So, you know, that's it's obviously the longest play, uh, playoff list streak in the league. But also, that's not that long for 12 coaches. Granted, 12 one coaches of them. And, and, four, and four general managers. Two of them were only interim coaches yeah. uh, in Ty Corbin and uh, Kenny Nat. But the but other Ty guys that were. He wasn't an interim coach. They officially went on the record and said that he wasn't the interim coach, and then they fired him midseason anyway. <laughs> They took away the interim tag, and then they still treated him like an interim coach. You want to know the last time, by the way, that the Kings were above average on both sides of the ball? Was it like 2002? 2002-03 season. Yeah, that was like Chris Webber, Vlade. That was uh, obviously, you know, the – That was not the Western Conference Finals year. That was – the but it year was like after the same team, it was like Mike Bibby and E. Webb and Vlade, like Rick Adelman was the coach. Yeah, that's the last time they're above average on both sides of the ball. They've only had one 
above average defensive season since then. Adelman's last year, 05-06. Below average on defense every single year since then. Do you know how hard that is to do? Like, And they've only been above average on offense twice. And one of them was by 0.3 points per 100 possessions. Nice. Like, the, the record of futility is, uh, I would say it's unmatched. But I think that the Knicks might still have the worst record this century. Um, they, they might still be in there, if I'm remembering correctly. Or maybe the Hornets might be worse because, you know, they got the Bobcats era thrown yeah. in there. And obviously that was, uh, I think we can say, not good. And that's imp- that would be impressive if Charlotte was in there because they didn't even get the expansion team until like 2005. And so you have like a five-year edge there or you're a five-year you know head start for these other teams. Yeah, but they did go – what was it seven and fifty nine in the lockout season? Yeah, yeah. So nope, the Knicks are still last. Four oh eight winning percentage, followed by the Wolves at four thirteen, the Hornets at four nineteen, the Wizards four twenty nine, and the Kings at four fifty. The Wizards being in there is impressive because they've had like five or six years, you know, whether it be like the Gilbert Arenas, Antoine Jameson years, or like the most recent, like John, where they were like decent. So it's not like they've yeah, been terrible but they've still never they- won. They've still never won 50 games in franchise won, history. They haven't won 50 games, but the fact that they had like that many years where they were at least decent, and then they have so many just awful years just, 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 just like to counterbalance that. It's, yeah. it's pretty The last bad. time was uh, the Bullets in 78-79. Uh, like, they won the title in 78, right? Uh, they won the title in 78, and then the next year they won 54 games, and that's the yeah. last time they won 50 or more. That's, you know, like the um, – Wes Unsell and those guys back then. What do you think about the where the Wizards are now? Because they obviously had that hot start to the season. They've cooled off a little bit. Bradley Beal still hasn't been very good. But I, I still kind of like some of their. I they're not that good. Like no, it's it's another team where they don't put very many bad players on the floor, but they also don't put very many really good players on the floor. And if Beal is not going to shoot well at a certain point, like it's really tough for them to create efficient offense like Dinwiddie is not shooting well at all this year Beal is not shooting well at all either from the field or from three Kuzma has kind of cooled off um they still can't get Bertans online like both on the court and shooting well at the same time right Kispert is sort of perked up a little bit he had that nice game against um I think it might have been the Knicks if I'm remembering correctly the other night in his first career start didn't didn't shoot well against uh Philly the other night but you know his first like super extended action he'd been playing like 10 15 minutes a game before that but it's uh it's it's tough to be a good offense when your best player is not and you know you know that from from covering the blazers this year when their offense was not good yep earlier earlier in the season well it's gotten it's gotten basically ever since dame got that clone shot he's been a lot better yeah i'm just and i'm really so happy that he got he's over been better. i'm happy he got over his case of please fire neil itis um <laughs> well, you know what? Yes, like the ab thing actually, because he was bad in the Olympics too. The ab thing legitimately has been bothering for a while. And I think it, I just think it bothered him more because there was an ir- an irritant there for him. I mean, I you're not gonna. I mean, you're not gonna get me to disagree with that, but I think there might be <laughs> something to that. But I think having that time off actually. But yes, it's gonna be very interesting where they go the rest of the season because I think they're gonna at least try to trade everybody besides him before the deadline i just don't know what they're going to be able to do yeah i mean the the guys that they've got like who's taking cj on that contract at this point nurkic is in the final year of his deal who wants covington where he like refuses to shoot most of the time it's like getting to draymond levels of refusing to shoot except he doesn't pass like draymond right you know um 
Larry Nance has been pretty good, but this is something we talked about earlier in the year. Like Larry Nance isn't changing your life as a franchise, you know, like what are you going to do there? Um, let, let's talk about a couple more of these young teams and then uh, take some questions here in the chat as well. Um, the Thunder have got, you know, 47 draft picks over the next three years or something along those lines. Shea obviously is really good, not playing like super well this year. He's had a couple of really big games, but there have been some, you know, stretches of really bad shooting at certain hey, points just this year. Hey, one player of the week. Yeah, the last, the, the last week or so, um, like I'm looking back now, the last six games, he's at 27, five and a half and six. Still not shooting well from three, but really well uh, on twos, like uh, up near 50% on twos. So getting to the free throw line a lot too. But I, I, I really like what I've seen from Josh Giddy. He's not another guy, not shooting well at all, but just the size and the rebounding and the playmaking is all so high level. I just think he's going to be a really good player. Is there anybody else on that team that you would say like is a is a clear keeper? Like I think Lou Dort is somebody you want on your team if you're a good team, but they're not a good team, and it might get expensive to keep him kind of soon. I don't know. I think I think the, I think Shea and Point that you look at and say. I mean, if they had more guys, you felt that way, it'd be a better team. Yeah, That's kind of the thing about where they are. Like they, uh, you, when you when you can't you if you're that bad, you're not going to have that many guys. Like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're all so young. Kenrich Williams is like the old, oldest contributor on the team. I guess Derek Favors, but he only plays like 10, 12 minutes a night. Um, Ortiz, I did see that you were requesting to speak, but Sean was finishing his answer. If uh, if you want to send in the request again, we'll get you on here to ask your question because I don't know how to have you speak on my own. But, yeah, I mean, like – to go back to the Thunder, like, you know, they got Robinson Earl playing a bunch of minutes. Darius Basley has taken, you know, I think a pretty significant step back. Um, Trey Mann has not gotten a ton of chances. There are a couple games where he played a lot when Shea was out. And I thought he, I, I thought he looked, like, fine. But uh, what's his name? Maldon, who uh, they used the, the, the second-round pick that they got in the Chris Paul trade on him has sort of fallen out of the rotation for the most part this year. Isaiah Roby, who played like a bunch last season, has also kind of fallen out of the rotation this year. It seems like other Poku, than those starters, we still don't know what the hell he Yeah, I mean, Poku is like, he tries to play like some sort of combination of Porzingis and Trey Young, and uh, it mostly does not work. Um, <laughs> which, you know, is, I guess, not really all that surprising, if you ask me, but... It's it's going to take a while there, you know? Like, I, I don't think this is something where even within the next two, three years, they're going to suddenly become respectable. Like, they play hard. Shea is really good. But there's just so little talent on the team beyond the top two or three guys. And the top two or three guys are not, like, star-level players that can carry you just yet, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, I guess I... I... I'm guessing Sam probably just has like unlimited runway to have this take as long as he needs. Cause he's built up so much equity with ownership, with being there as long as he did. And with them being as good as they were for as long as they were, I think he's going to just get as much time as he needs to do this. I would think so. Um, this is also like why he went with pick volume this time. You're not uh, going to hit on Durant, Russ Harden in a row. Like that's just not something that happens with, you know, three consecutive, or I guess, three of four first-round picks because the fourth was Serge Baca the same year as Russ. Like, that's just not something that happens. So that's why they're accumulating all these picks. And 
taking swings on, you know, potentially high upside guys. And you're not going to use all those picks yourself either. That's just having that many means you have more stuff to use in the next trade, which you're going to, if you're them, you're going to have to trade for a guy because nobody's going to Oklahoma city as a free agent. And so just having a million picks that you can trade if the next guy like comes available and it's trading him once picks, they have more of those to offer than anybody else. Yeah. Um, all right. We got like 15 or so minutes left. Who's more interesting to you, the Spurs or the Hornets? Uh, the Hornets. I love Lamelo. I love Briz. I just, I mean, there there are guys on the Spurs that I like, like like Dejounte Murray. But the the Hor- the Hornets are definitely just because of Lamelo. They're just they're a team that I'm more inclined to watch. And yeah, I mean the the combination of Lamelo, Bridges, Rogier, Oubre, um, and then Eric Collins, their play by play announcer, yeah, makes yeah. for for such entertaining TV. Um, and then you know they've got Del Curry as well. Like it's it's a great broadcast to watch and i like you know when they go small with pj washington at center uh former blazers great mason Plumley out there serving as like the pick and roll connector like he always does whichever mcdaniels they have coming off the bench playing you know 15 or so minutes a game is is not too bad like i think he's still kind of an interesting player i don't know if he'll ever be more than like a you know a combo forward off the bench but you know Lamelo just has like the growth potential there is so outrageous. Like, uh, it's I barely have words for it at a certain point because a guy that big that passes like that and gets everybody else to play fast, or not play fast, but play quick, make quick decisions, is just, it's so valuable for a team. Not only does he get the ball up the court really quickly, but there's not really anybody on their team except for like maybe Rogier at times who's going to hold the ball for a while and just sort of like survey and be like, what am I going to do here? Everybody else is like making quick moves and quick decisions. And like, how are we going to break down this defense? And it just, it works really well. Like I think that they obviously have a long way to go on defense. They're the worst defensive team in the league. And a lot of that is on, Lamelo and a lot of that is on you know Bridges. I think is sort of backslid defensively. Um, Gordon Hayward is not much of a threat defensively at this point in his career. Like even a guy like Rozier was a really good defender early in his career because he was sort of an energy guy off the bench. You know is not I don't think as solid defensively at this point as he used to be. They've got a bunch of guys who are like athletic and have good frames and seem like they could contribute to good defenses, but none of them are doing it. Yeah, and as far as the offense and, like, guys not on the ball and stuff, I wonder how much of that you can also credit to James Borrego. Just because, like, he's a Spurs guy. He's a pop guy. Mm-hmm. He comes from that Spurs, you know, extended universe, if you will. That's another – I think he's a good coach and a coach that doesn't really get talked about. Now I'm thinking of, like, the Spurs extended universe. Like, you know, like, could you make the the Spurs cinematic universes with, like, pop as – I don't think he would be Thanos because he's not, like – motivated like that i don't know who among the spurs <laughs> family would be thanos it's like there there really is no maybe thanos. maybe budenholzer i don't know i don't think he's motivated to you know wipe out the or he is motivated to wipe out the face of the central division so maybe maybe he could be yeah the the spurs know. by the way like it's another very young spurs team i think they're younger than they were last year again obviously now Dejounte out for a bit with COVID, but that, that's a team that sort of feels like aimless right now. Like even DeJounte is, is 25. What's the path to competing during his prime over the next four years? You know, like 
I think it's... he's a like number two or number three star. They need a number one guy, and I don't know who that's going to be unless they get one of these top draft picks, and then whether it's like Chet Holmgren or whoever they get with the top two or th- one of the like they get like a top two or three pick and get one of those guys, and that guy becomes the guy. They need the guy, and I think yeah. Dejounte Murray is really good, but he's not the guy. They've got you know beyond that too is a bunch of like fourth, fifth, sixth guys. You know like Keldon Johnson, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, Devin Vassell. Like these guys are, you know, solid complementary players that, you know, you want to fit in around ideally a star. And like that was the idea with most of those guys when they drafted them was they were going to fit in around Kawhi. But that's that, you know, blew up on them. You know, that's and, you know, not having another Kawhi to turn to is not exactly anybody's fault, but that's the position they're in right now. They're going to have, you know, another likely uh, below 500 season, I would think, and uh, miss the playoffs for. They had never missed the playoffs in back-to-back seasons in franchise history before last year to begin with, and now it might be three years in a row. You know, and um, not—it's—it's it's not even like the play-in is a guarantee. You think Pop retires? I don't know. That's—it's obviously been heavily rumored that this was the time it was going to happen for a while. Like, are do you feel comfortable projecting what that guy is going to do at any given time? Like, no, I don't. <laughs> but he just, you know, he, and I realized that a couple years down the line, the next, the next USA thing, but he already stepped down as USA coach and they just put Steve Kerr in as his replacement. I think now he's, you know, he got the Olympics. Like, what does he have left to him in the NBA? He's won five championships. He's probably seen by most people as, if not the greatest coach of all time, like top two or three. Then he got his Olympic gold medal as a head coach. Like, I don't know what's left. Um, how far away is he from being the winningest coach? Of all time, I think it's close enough that he might be like twenty. I think it's like it's like a it's a it's a kind of number where it's like he might hit it this year, he might not. Like what? Like um, no, he's pretty far away. Um, what's he, what's he at? He's at nineteen ninety six, and Lenny Wilkins is at twenty four eighty seven. So I don't think oh, he's yeah. going to get. Uh, or no, wait, sorry, that's games. Um, he is twelve wins away from becoming the all time leader over Don Nelson. Who is at thirteen thirty five and Pop is at thirteen twenty four, so he could very I'll easily I'll become bet, bet the all time winningest coach this year. And if he gets that, granted, I'm not sure he's super motivated by being the all time winningest coach either. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like the only reason I would think he would stay is because he might not want to leave the team in a situation where it seems like uncertain what their future is going to be right. beyond this year. Like I could see him wanting to be there until like they know what they are going forward. But also I could see him being like, you know, obviously, um, I believe uh, his wife passed away several years ago at this point. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it's it's not a team that's competing for championships every year anymore. So I could see the motivation not necessarily being there once he passes that record. But, man, that is going to happen this year. I'm excited to see when that happens now. You got to figure yeah. like they're, they're 14 wins in their first 33 games. So sometime in the next 25, 30 games, like probably around the All-Star break. Honestly, I could see it. It'd be pretty. They're wow. They're on a long road trip during that time. That's the uh, what do they have down there? The circus or something? The Inside rodeo. The rodeo. Yeah, two, six, eight. They're on like a eight game road swing uh, from the middle to the end of February, and that's sort of like if you go by the pace that they're on so far, it would be kind of in that range. But it's gonna be fun to watch, man. Like I, I, I hope they get. Obviously, DeJounte back on the court soon. Like, I like what they've gotten from Jakob Pertl this year. Lonnie Walker is finally back making, you know, 
a shot every once in a while the last couple weeks after going through a very cold period soon after he got taken out of the starting lineup uh, earlier in the year. And uh, the sell is good. They've got interesting guys, but like you said, just nobody to really center them around at the moment. Like maybe Josh Primo becomes that guy, but he's played like 75 minutes in the NBA. Who the hell knows what he's going to be? I just checked the Blazers schedule and the Spurs are here on March 23rd. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, if they're, if they're not very good for the next couple months, then that could be, that could be when it. it happens. But yeah. Who's to say? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of fun young teams. There's a lot of not so fun young teams. Um, I just I, I like talking about the, that that group because it's you can both analyze and project at the same time. Whereas, like, what's the point of projecting the Lakers five years into the future? You know, like there's there's nothing to see there because they're also not a lot of funding. Yeah, I mean, so they're just man, not very good. Something's gonna have to change there at some point too. Um, not not the only team, but anyway, um, Sean, I'll, I'll let you go. Uh, thank you for doing this, man. Appreciate you, as always. Uh, you yeah. can find him uh, on Twitter at Hikin, H-I-G-H-K-I-N, covering the NBA and the Blazers from out in Portland for Bleacher Report and a uh, good buddy of mine. So thanks again, man. Appreciate you. Always going to talk to you. So back on Thursday, folks, with Adam Morris uh, from DNVR to talk about the Nuggets um, and what the heck is going on with them this season. Going to talk a lot, obviously, a lot about you know potential timelines for Jamal Murray's return, uh, Michael Porter's return, and what they've gotten out of all of their various young guys and veterans that they've had filling into the lineup over the last few weeks. And uh, just because he went to Miami, we're going to talk about Davon Reed as well. But uh, like I said, back on Thursday, uh, enjoy the rest of your evening of basketball.